Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Yes, indeed, and I am joined by our friend Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Good to see you, Julie. Good to see you, too. Nice morning. morning. Summertime. Yeah. 75 is official uh, Twin City temperature reading. And uh, how have you been? Good, good. Working hard outside. Yeah. Getting bit up by mosquitoes, <laughs> even though I've been wearing DEET. <laughs> yeah, no, we've been uh, been busy with uh, community garden work So through the Minneapolis Homegrown program. Oh, yeah. So been working with uh, some of the gardeners, and I've got some demonstration gardens at those sites, and then also... Uh, also, have my second year, my pepper project, looking at interplanting peppers with annual flowers that attract pollinators to see if you get more peppers. Oh, and what was that picture I showed you of the, the, the we have uh, growing some uh, peppers? Uh, yeah, that was a, a bell red pepper. bell pepper, beautiful pepper, but it had a black uh, kind of dead area on the base of it. Uh, yeah. And that's uh, blossom end rot. So I that's, thought it's uh, not a worm. Nope, it's not a worm. And uh, and so that happens when there's uneven watering and the plant can't get enough water to take up the calcium. And it causes this, uh, it starts at the beginning uh, of the development of the fruit. So okay. uh, so that's, so you can still eat it. Just cut that cut out. Cut that part off. It was quite great. tasty, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, those are good peppers right yeah, now. Yeah, indeed. Really good. Uh, and what we're by the way, the, the callers are coming in six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Keep in mind that's the same number for the text six five one nine eight nine nine two two six, and we'll pick up on the call on both uh, in in just a moment. But uh, there's some some kind of some new news here. Yeah. So we have, as everybody knows who's listening, we have the Yard and Garden News blog, and we've got an excellent article on there about the viburnum leaf beetle. This is a new. Uh, invasive insect. Sorry to tell mm. you this. It was found in Eden Prairie, and it loves viburnums. So we have lots of different kinds of viburnums. We have the, uh, you know, the wayfaring bush, and we have a number of different kinds of high bush cranberry, and and uh, they basically skeletonize the leaves. So they eat all that tissue between the veins of the leaves, mm. similar to what Japanese beetles actually do. Um, and they can really defoliate a plant, which ultimately could kill the plant, but may just be a kind of a cosmetic thing if the plant is doing well. Uh, we're just asking people that if you have viburnums and you see some of this damage to look for that insect. And we have pictures of that insect, both the larvae uh, and the adult, on our extension blog, our Yard and Garden News. And uh, if you find it, the Minnesota Department of Agriculture would love it if you would contact them. You can either go to arrestthepest at state.mn.us. The link is on our blog as well, or you can call. Or you can also report on the Great Lakes Early Detection Network, which is a a worldwide network of uh, reporting of invasive species. So another nasty critter. Well, potentially. potentially, yeah, potentially. If we can all be diligent out there and, and wa- go out and check your viburnum and see if you see some of that damage, you might see Japanese beetles. You know, that's what, that we all know that. But look, look for those larvae. Look at that picture and look for those adults. And then, if you do find them, go ahead and report that to the MDA. Okay, great. Anything else? Or should yeah, we- the other thing on that yeah. uh, blog too is a new video series that Gail Hudson and I just finished. 
and it is called uh, How to Pick the Best Plants for Your Yard and Garden. It's a three-part series. The first part deals with assessing your site, so kind of what's your recipe for the best plant, and then also how to choose a plant, you know, and, and I show a couple of examples, and then also how to plant the plant. So there's three-part series, so if you're, uh, you can still be planting now. You can plant shrubs and trees especially, and uh, also some of those perennials. You might be moving some things around. So take a look at that because it gives you some good uh, basic kind of rule of thumb for, uh, for choosing plants for your site. Boy, that sounds fun. It was fun. Yeah. It Labor my, of love. It's in my front yard, too, so you could see the front of my house. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Julie, let's, we'll talk more, but let's, uh, let's help out some folks. Sounds good. 651-989-9226, text and phone calls. Uh, off we go to Kathy, who's calling from uh, Minneapolis. Kathy, you're on with Julie. Hi. Hello. How, how do I get rid of mushrooms in my front lawn? Oh, yeah. Up? Yeah, well, you can. Do, the problem with mushrooms is the part that we see is just the fruiting body, and there's a complex web of uh, roots called mycelia that's underneath the ground. So uh, usually, it's 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 when we have really wet conditions. Uh, if you are irrigating, in other words, if you're watering your lawn, you want to back off, and that's going to dry up those mushrooms and prevent them from having a really good growing environment. So just kind of back off that. And, uh, and you can certainly, you know, pick up the, you know, the mushrooms that you see now, but, but especially if you have an irrigation system, you want to turn that off right now. We've had plenty of rain and I think we're going to be getting some more. So possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the call. Leaving that line open. Let's go to uh, Stashfield. Uh, Sharon, <clears throat> excuse me, is with us. Sharon, you're on CCO. Hi, I have an almond bush and this year I was out messing and it's growing, growing like three, four foot, um, vine, like viney, uh, you know, wood instead of being short like the almond bush. So this is a flowering almond. Yes. Okay. So the flowering almond is a spring blooming shrub. It's beautiful. Yep. We had one in my backyard when I was growing up. It was one of my favorite plants. Um, and I think what you want to do is if you're, you're so you're getting these kind of long, lanky branches. I take it. So uh, if that's the case, you want to just, you can just head those back. In other words, you can just cut them back okay. to a, a more appropriate size for the rest of the shrub. And that should be fine. Okay. Very good. Uh, boy, we've got a bunch of text messages. I tell you, let's try, oh, to, a lot. Let's, let's try to grab a text message before we get too far uh, behind. Okay. What do we got here? I grew several of these giant exhibition coleus plants from seed. One plant developed several leaves that are solid green on the left side of the leaf and red speckled on the right. I love this. Would like to propagate more. Would leaf cuttings or stem cuttings work? What causes this? Uh, it's not, it, yeah, what causes this? It's not that unusual to see plants that have been bred for uh, variegation or colors, color patterns to revert to their natural color, which is green. And, uh, and you can try to do that. You could certainly take a cutting off of there and see if you can propagate that for next year. Um, and you probably, it probably will propagate that same, uh, if it reverted to that. So, um, you know, give it a shot. Uh, you never really kind of know what you're going to get, but, but that's a possibility. Sure. All right. Experiment. Uh, let's talk to Dorothy, who's calling from uh, Minneapolis. Dorothy, you're on CCO. Hi. Uh, because of traveling this year, I did not get my old blossoms trimmed from my Korean uh, lilac bushes. 
Okay. And the the bushes are really overgrown, and so I really need to cut them back. And so I'm wondering, I know I'm going to lose the the blooms from next year if I trim them now, but what is the future? Will will I get blooms the following year? Yeah, you sure will. You just want to trim those back uh and uh and they will they you know, you might get a few blossoms from next year, depends how severe you cut it back. But uh but yeah, you'll have them they'll come the next year and and the shrub will be much better formed and it will be much bushier too. Okay, uh text says uh, help. I have a large vegetable garden that's been hard hit. I believe by some uh, fungal or bacterial problem. First notice the tomato plants turning yellow and uh, the leaves and spotted. It looked to be leaf spot, but then my potato plant uh, leaves started to wilt and turn black. Now my pumpkins are turning orange and the vines are dying. I brought in new soil this spring for large raised beds for the tomatoes and peppers from a nursery. They said it was uh, a U of M mix. Not sure what that is. We don't have any mixes. (laughs) Uh, My pumpkins are about fifty feet outside my fence garden. I sprayed a fungicide after the fact, and everything. Any help is appreciated. Well, can you glean anything from that? Well, that's that's a complex situation. So the tomatoes are likely uh, one of the blights, or it could be Septoria leaf spot. And uh, and you can take a look at our tomato page. Uh, Go to what's wrong with my plant for all of these cases. And uh, look up the the plant, so tomatoes or your pumpkins, and uh, take a look and see what uh, what might be the issue. The pumpkins vining crops sometimes have borers that will kill the whole vine. Uh, we've had an awful lot of rain, and it's been very humid, and it's pr- so that's prime conditions for soil pathogens. If you've planted these plants repeatedly in the same area or nearby, that could potentially be the problem, is that you need to rotate these crops. And uh, and the new soil, um, we don't have a mix at the U. I don't know what that would be exactly. Um, but that, you know, you could have a soil test done, and you can do that at the soil testing lab. That's $17. And you can ask them specifically, you know, and tell them what was going on and maybe add some notes to your uh, your information, but it's it's complex. I'm going to say it's weather, it's rain, it's also resistant or non-resistant varieties like the tomato. Uh, you could have a borer issue in your vining crop, and, uh, and as far as the potatoes go, that could be also that could be just uh, another pathogen too. So rotation of crops is really important, and mulching those crops around the base to prevent that soil from splashing up on the leaves is important too. Plus resistant varieties when you first plant them. We need to take a quick break, Julie, so hang on. We have callers, we have textures, we'll have more show to come here on our Smart Garden Show on News Talk A3OWCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny along with Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M answering your questions as usual by phone and by text. And as usual, Julie, you see wow. we have a we bunch have lots of, of questions. Folks have been Tis waiting. Season. Let's get to them. <laughs> Let's talk. Go to Edina. I think Ken uh, is there with a question. Ken, you're on with Julie. Uh, good morning. Morning. My lawn uh, is very has become very bumpy and rough over the years. When I walk on it to mow, I can feel the you know bumps sure. underneath. Some large, some small. When I push the mower, literally the handle jumps around. And wow. uh, um, I used to hear of a thing called a power rake, and I've never heard of that since right. or lately. Uh, what can I do? Well, bumpy lawns can be earthworms. They can be underground animals. Uh, rooting around in there. Um, it could also be different kinds of grasses that have 
grown up and become kind of thatchy, or if you ever see tufts of taller grasses, they can get a little bit bushy at the bottom. Uh, one of the things that you might want to do is aerate your lawn this fall, and that would require renting an aerator and uh, a core aerator, and that will pull out cores, and that will help to loosen some of the compaction of the soil. It's a good thing to do if you've never done it or if you haven't done it for about five years or so. And uh, and that will help to loosen compaction. Then you can overseed with a good quality seed that's suitable for your site. Uh, other people will do things like use a power rake. You can rent those as well. Uh, sometimes you can just, depending on how big the space is and how big your lawn is, uh, you can do some actual spot raking in those areas to knock down some of those clumps. So the first thing is to determine if it's a type of grass that's a clumping grass. And if that's the case, you're going to want to dig those out and then reseed with a good quality seed. Uh, or if it's something, if it's a soil, then you want to do some, maybe some aeration and do some power raking maybe. Okay. There you go. 651-989-9226. Let's go to Brooklyn Park. Lori is with us. Lori, good morning. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I have a question regarding geraniums. Okay. And I get them in the spring. They're nice and big, the blooms. And as the summer goes on, they get much smaller. Why okay. is this? I fertilize every couple weeks. Okay, so these are seed geraniums, correct? Oh no, I buy the geraniums at the big, the big nurseries. Okay, so I don't just get them from any store. Okay, so but they're the geraniums with the like the red balls yes. of flowers. Okay, red geraniums. Sure. So geraniums are annuals, uh, and uh, because of that, they uh, they also grow quite. Lo- they can get quite large in containers. So first, the container that you're growing them in may be too small, and it's restricting that. The other thing too is that even though you're fertilizing those, those plants are going to start to kind of get as they as they keep blooming. Their blooms are going to get repeatedly a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. And that's just because the plant is putting out so much energy at this time of year that it, that they need to uh, – they don't have as much energy to produce as big a flower. And that's common on uh, reblooming plants, on annuals in particular, is that those subsequent blooms get a little bit smaller. There may be not as many of them. And that's what's happening with your geranium. The way to uh, uh, probably – I guess get around this is uh, is to accept that and just if you're growing them just as annuals or if you're keeping them over the winter, if you're overwintering them in your house, is to repot them in the fall so that they start out with nice fresh soil in the winter and then keep them in a nice sunny window and take them out in the spring when it warms up and uh, make sure that you have a big enough pot and that they're getting enough fertilizer. It sounds like that's what you're doing. And then also that they're getting enough water as well. So uh, so just as that repeated blooming throughout the summer that the plant is just using energy and not able to produce such large blooms. All right. Thank you for the call. Uh, we have uh, textures. Here's one that, that is uh, having their roof reshingled. Several oak trees have branches brushing the roof. Is there a safe way to prune an oak now? Right now, it's a low risk for oak wilt. So, yes, you could prune them if you have to right now. And uh, what I would recommend is that you just, uh, you know, use a good sharp uh, pruner or lopper or saw, whatever it is that you're using, and uh, and that uh, you take as little off as you have to. 
just take off what you have to. And then in the winter, when the risk when the risk is gone, then I would go ahead and do maybe a more dramatic uh, pruning at that point. Okay. Back to the phones. Uh, Jean is calling from uh, Woodbury. Jean, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, we have a tomato plant that um, I've potted. It's out on the, the deck, and the it has tomatoes, but some of them are flat on the bottom, and they are decayed. That is blossom end rot. That's what uh, we were talking about earlier. I don't know if you caught that earlier in the beginning of the show. Denny was showing me a picture of his pepper that has that on there too. And blossom end rot, you can read about that on our extension site at extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden. And it's essentially a calcium deficiency that's caused by irregular watering of the plant. And that happens often in containers because, you know, you go away for the weekend, the plant dries out, you get back, you flood it with water kind of forget about it for a few days, then you go back and it's wilted. <laughs> and it happens particularly on large tomatoes and Roma tomatoes. Uh, you find it also on peppers as well. And uh, the way to, essentially once it starts, it starts when the fruit is developing, when it's small. And uh, and there's nothing to do about it right now. You can't spray it, you can't add calcium, anything like that. You want to just pick those fruit and you can slice that bottom part off. And then you can eat the rest of the plant if there's enough, or the rest of the fruit if there's enough of it to eat. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's very common, very common. And it and how you get around it is you make sure you have great big containers and that you keep those plants watered evenly and uh, and continue to, uh, you know, fertilize them as, as needed for the, uh, for tomatoes. So it's hard to manage it in containers in particular. I bet it is. All right. I know we have to break here, but a quick tech. Text says, good morning. How do you get rid of snakes in your yard? (laughs) Oh, boy, you got me on that one. I don't know. I'd call St. Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But only on March 17th. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Snakes in the yard, they like to live in rocky walls. And so if you have rock walls at all or, or some kind of, you know, block walls, they like to get in there and build nests behind those areas. Um. They will probably go away on their own. As far as I know, I don't, uh, I don't know that snakes come back and re-nest. It might just be the case that you have a, a nest there this year. And just, you know, next year hopefully you won't. Okay. We have to take a break. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you want to call in your lawn or garden question, 651-989-9226. That, by the way, is the same number for your text messages to Julie. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. This morning, Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M is with us. Uh, and as usual, yeah, callers, texters, it really is. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I would, I'm just guessing that we would have had more lawn questions. But Shh. no. <laughs> but you know what? Just to make a little plug for the State Fair, which is yeah. just around the corner, God, it is, you're going to be it? there with... John. Yep, John Trappy and I will be there the first Saturday, and Mary and Eric Watkins will be there the second Saturday. Okay. So and we're celebrating. How many? We're celebrating eight years. Eight years. Wow. I don't know why we picked this year to celebrate. It's I don't not know. Like, why not? Why not eight? Let's do it every you know? year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to ask you about the abiders, too, coming up in, in a moment. All so, right. So keep that in mind. In the meantime, let's uh, go back to uh, the phones. Ella is calling from uh, Lake Elmo, I believe. Good morning, Ella. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. 
Hey, I have um, a Miss Kim lilac bush that was planted in the wrong place, meaning too close to my house. Okay. And it's turned into a monster. It's about 15, <laughs> <laughs> it's about 15 feet high. Wow. And, yeah. And I think it's because it's on the southern side of the house and okay. it's protected. Well, my husband and I are wondering if we can successfully remove it and transplant it somewhere. Well, that's the million-dollar question. (laughs) Uh, You can certainly try. You can also do uh, a a pruning technique that's uh, called a, I think it's called a, I always mix them up, rejuvenation or renovation, and uh, and where you basically take the shrub down uh, to about six inches tall. Um, that might not be feasible depending on the form of the plant. If you've got big, trunky stuff uh, growing, uh, it might look even worse. Um, you can try to move it. It depends on how big the root ball has gotten. So uh, if it's a matter of, you know, taking it out and, and if you lose it, you lose it and you just put another one in or something else in that space, then that might be an option too. So you can give it a whirl. And I have seen them transplanted. Uh, but not 15 feet tall. So I would definitely cut it back at least some of the way, maybe a third of the way, uh, before you try to transplant it, just you know, to make it more manageable. You might have to even go lower than that because to move a shrub that large is going to be tough even for two people. And uh, Julie, luck. text messages about, and I know we've covered it a little bit, about tomatoes, blight on tomatoes and peppers. What causes that? Yeah. Where, where can we send them for more? So uh, if, a lot of questions right now about fruits and vegetables. And uh, we have an excellent uh, tool on our site called What's Wrong With My Plant. And you can uh, go to extension.umn.edu, go to Yard and Garden, and uh, and you can go to what's you know solve a problem and then find the tool what's wrong with my plant. You can also just Google that and you'll get to that a little bit faster probably. Um, there you can choose the type of plant. So if it's vegetable or fruit or an annual flower or perennial or a tree or shrub, and then you can choose the part of the plant that is a problem. If you see spotty leaves, if your plant is wilting, if the fruit has black spots on it. You can look at the choices there, click on those, and it will give you the most common things that we see in Minnesota, uh, That that uh, those kinds of symptoms, that displays those kinds of symptoms. So uh, we also have what insect is this for insect identification, and, uh, and also is this plant a weed. So a lot of tools there uh, if you uh, don't get your question answered today or something comes up during the week. All right. Back to the phones we go. Tim is calling from Hopkins this morning. Tim, you're on CCO. Yeah, what? hi. My neighbor has uh, three maple trees, that hard maples that have died from what I think is verticillium wilt. And he says he's just going to leave them up till they fall down. And I have a big maple maybe 50 yards away from his closest one. Do I have to worry about that getting to my tree? Boy, that's a really good question. I think um, I think I would refer you to an arborist in that case because that's a that's a major tree in your yard. You're concerned, and you're and you may think it's verticillium wilt. Could be something else. Could be drought stress. Could be compaction. Could be circling roots. Um, I think I would call in a certified arborist. Then you actually have a professional who can talk to both you and your neighbor 
And you know what? He might be able to convince the guy to take the trees down yeah, before maybe. they fall down. A, a tree that's dying like that is can be a hazard depending on where it's located on a property. And uh, and so I would call that. You can find a good publication on our extension site called How to Hire a Tree Professional, and that's under our tree and shrub section. And uh, there's a link there to the International Society of Arboriculture where you can put your zip code in and find a certified arborist in your area. We're lucky in Minnesota. We have fantastic tree people and all very well, uh, well-versed in, in issues like this. Yeah, it's true. We do have a bunch of good yeah, folks Yeah, they're great. There. Texter says, we live in Chaska. We have large, speaking of trees, large trees that have wild grape vines growing on them. It seems like the vines are killing the trees. What can we do? Well, that is a problem with some of our native plants, native vines even, uh, uh, woodbine, Virginia creeper, wild grape. You want to carefully, if you can, if you can get up on a ladder, be careful, uh, and stay away from any power cords, of course. But if you want to pull that vine down progressively, You can try to yank it down, but sometimes you end up breaking a lot of the branches of the tree, depending on how big that vine is. And and then you want to find the source of that vine and dig that out. And you want to stay on top of that next spring when you start to see that vine coming up. Then you want to pull it out when it's small and just kind of stay on top of that so you prevent this from happening in the future. All right. Let's go back to the phones, uh, Julie. Patty is calling from St. Paul. Uh, Patty, you're on uh, CCO. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. Good morning. We have a, a, a spruce tree that's probably easily 30-some years old, and we're having it removed next week. And since I've had it about six years ago, I planted some hostas on it because they grow really well sure. under that, in that environment. But when we remove this uh, tree, I just want to know, is there a time period we should wait before we can try to plant any sod in that area or plant another tree? Because um, I, you know, the 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 acidity is a lot different under that tree, and I just didn't know for sure if we should wait a certain amount of time for that. And then also, is it really important for us to get all the old pine needles out from underneath that tree? It's not. Uh, in Minnesota, we have um, uh, let's see, you're located in Otsego, so uh, in uh, oh, sorry, St. Paul. <laughs> uh, in St. Paul, most of now there are pockets of soil that could be more have a lower pH, but we have a lot of we have high pH soil in in Minnesota due to our limestone bedrock, and so you can have a soil test done. That's what I would recommend. You shouldn't have to wait. Once you grind out that stump, uh, you could start to put some sod down or seed. Seeding is going to blend in better with the rest of your yard than sod will, and uh, and and I don't think you have to worry too much about. Uh, the needles you can you can rake some of those out if they're really thick. Otherwise, you can just you know mix in some good topsoil and then uh, put down your grass seed on top of that too. But you want to get as many of the roots out as possible. It's it's hard to do on a tree that that's that that is that big and that old. You're going to see probably some mushrooms coming up as those roots uh, break down over the years. Just that's just uh, nature. So there's nothing to do about that. But get the gr- get the stump ground out. Get as many roots out as you can. Choose a good grass seed that's suitable for the spot. You might want to get a soil test done and amend that soil appropriately. All right, Patty, there you go. Thanks for the call. 651-989-9226. Let's go to, you mentioned Otsego. Let's go there yeah. right now. Larry <laughs> is there. Larry, you're on with Julie. Yes, very good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, I have an opportunity to pick up some fertilizer, a big box store. It's a... Uh, a little higher in nitrogen. It's a weed and feed type situation. 
is it too late in the year? Is it an appropriate time to be fertilizing, using this type of fertilizer, weed and feed, or what would you recommend? Well, I think uh, I'm going to go with what uh, my friend John Trappy, our uh, turf uh, expert on the show, says. He's not a fan of weed and feed, and here's why. Um, feeding is one thing. Fertilization, no problem. But the but the weed is an herbicide, so that's an herbicide for broadleaf weeds like plantain and clover, etc. And the problem is, is that when you put it down, you're you're putting it. You're not going to have unless you have a really really weedy lawn that's got lots of broadleaf weeds. You're putting that herbicide in places that you really don't need it. And if you ask John, he would say to get a, an herbicide if that's what you want to use. Um, you can either dig out weeds by hand, but if you're going to use an herbicide is to actually spot treat the weeds is to actually put the herbicide where the weeds are. And right now we're getting into, we're, we've been in a pretty hot streak with our lawn. So we don't want to do fertilization and, uh, any kind of, uh, weed treatment right now. We want to wait until it cools down. And I think if I remember correctly from the last show that John and I were on, he was saying about middle of August is when it start when you start to do some more fertilization of your lawn the lawn is going to start to actively grow right now it's still a little it's still in a dormant condition uh, and that happens when it gets really warm so our grasses are cool season grasses here they grow in the spring they grow in the fall and they go a little they go somewhat dormant in the in the middle of summer and so you want to hold off on fertilization until middle of August and you really want to spot treat weeds you don't want to just broadcast uh, a combination of the two. I know it sounds easier to do, and you think, "Well, I'm, I'm, you know, preventing weeds from growing," but you're not. You're actually putting that herbicide where you really may not need it, and uh, and so we encourage you to spot treat uh, if you can. All right. Need to do a quick break here, Julie. So hang on. We'll be back with more phone calls and text messages here in our Smart Garden Show. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here with Julie <laughs> Wesenhorn from the U of M. Oh, and, boy. you know, I was looking at a text, Julie, and I'm wondering this isn't a good uh, a place to uh, direct them to the website. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at planting, probably planting, a specimen pine tree. I'm torn between a red and a white. Oh, I would be torn, too. <laughs> I love pine trees. Um, well... We have a grid. Uh, it, it's going to depend on the size of the space that you have, and both of those are huge trees. If if you're if you're growing the species, you might be growing a cultivar, or maybe it's a weeping form, uh, and uh, and you're going to want to look definitely at the size of the space. And I would send you to my new video series that's on our yard and garden news blog, and it will help you to maybe look at. Uh, now we're talking about smaller plants there. We're not talking about pine trees, but it, but the principles are the same. And take a look at that video series, and then it also will link you to our plant database, which is called the Plant Elements of Design. And you can look in that, and you can find out more about these trees that you're trying to decide between. I like them both. Um, I don't think we have enough of them, but they're very different trees as far as form goes. Uh, and uh, I think, um, I think uh, you want to look particularly at the amount of space that you have and 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 what kind of form you want. So a specimen, uh, as I think about it, I'm going to say if you're going with the species, I'm going to say a white pine is going to be more of a specimen than a red pine. Red pine, I think, grow better in clumps and groups and more of a forested area. 
Okay. That's just me, though. And oh, I like nice. them both. All right. Red pine is our state tree, by the way. Pinus resinosa. Also that. called the Norway pine. Very good. <laughs> See all the information you can get here. Uh, let's go to the phones. Jean and Crystal is calling in. Jean, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You mm-hmm. bet. I have a 10-year-old Japanese silk lilac um, tree, and it's 10 years old, and it's been dropping leaves all summer, and now it's the brown leaves are dropping, and it's got dead limbs with brown leaves hanging on the dead limbs. And I'm just so afraid that it's going to be dying. Yeah, it's a 10 years old, so it's a pretty good-sized tree. Yes. Uh, have you had it pruned or No, anything? no, we've never pruned it. Okay. No. Um, I'm, you might want to try doing that first, and you could prune that now. And uh, as far as the leaves go, you might want to try... Um, ensuring that you're watering it enough. Now, we've had a lot of rain, but that rain has come in such huge amounts at one time that sometimes it just runs off. Um, And you might want to also try uh, maybe some some plants, some tree stakes for nutrients. There may be a case where that tree is is stressed and it needs, uh, you know, possibly needs some nutrients. Um, So watering, mulching, the base of it is important. Uh, looking for any kinds of wounds or damage in it, uh, maybe from storms or if there's an infection in the tree. And you can always call an arborist to come in and take a look at that. Sometimes cities have city arborists that will come take a look at trees. I'm not going to speak for them, but that might be something to investigate. And uh, and otherwise, you can always call a certified arborist from a tree uh a tree company here in uh, in the cities or, or wherever you're – let's see, you're in Crystal. Yeah, so – um, and you can find that on our extension site at How to Hire a Tree Professional. We have a publication on that. It gives you all sorts of good questions to ask. But that's an important tree. I'm sure it's a great specimen in your yard, and uh, especially if it's dropping leaves and branches, probably want to have someone take a look at it. Sure. Texter says this, Julie, I have a Nico Blue hydrangea. This is the third year with great foliage, no blossoms. Planted in 2002. How can I get it to bloom again? Well, I'm surprised it's still alive after 17 years. Wow, that's amazing. Nico Blue is not traditionally a hardy hydrangea here in Minnesota. Um, and uh, if it's made it through the winters, that's you must be covering it, I imagine. I'm guessing that it just, because of the type of hydrangea, because it's not a traditionally hardy plant here, that it is um, that the buds are not surviving uh, as surviving the winter, and that's been really common the past couple of years with even plants that are considered hardy here. So that plant, uh, I would say, if the foliage is looking good, I would keep taking care of it if you if you want to, and uh, just kind of you might want to cover it. Um, you know, put some leaves. I put some chicken wire around it, a nice big ring, and then pack it full of leaves in the in the uh, fall. And uh, and then unbury it, you know, open it up when it warms up in the spring, and see if uh, see if you can get that thing to bloom again. Could also be that that the light has changed, you know, over a long period of time like that. You could have tree branches that you maybe didn't notice, but is maybe shading the plant a little more, and uh, and you want to do some tree trimming or move the plant somewhere else. Julia Texter wants to know: Is it important to deadhead geraniums? I want to know what, what what's how do you deadhead a plant? <laughs> well, there's nothing to do with the grateful dead. There's nothing. Okay. Oh, I'm a fan. Um, actually, deadheading is removing the spent blossoms. So before they start ah. to set seed, 
you go in and you cut back to the next uh, growing point, whether it be a branch or a stem or or a, a group of leaves. And the reason you do that is that that putting uh, a plant puts an awful lot of energy into flowering and even more energy into creating seed. And by doing that, if you don't deadhead those, you're you're losing that energy. And if you want that plant to rebloom, you want to deadhead it. You want to take those spent flowers up before the seed gets set. And uh, hopefully then the plant will be putting more of its energy into producing more blooms or more leaves or a good root system for next year. So uh, hydrangeas, um, right now, if you're seeing uh, dieback on your hydrangeas, uh, or if you do you do this in the spring too, or you would take those blossoms off, those spent blossoms. So uh, you just take them down to the next group of leaves. Okay. Speaking of uh, musical groups, uh, when's the Abiders' next gig? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> uh, we will be at the Arboretum at Music in the Garden on Sunday, August 18th, and we start. Uh, we play 1.30 to 3 o'clock, and we had a fantastic time when we played last month. We had a, a special uh, appearance by uh, our buddy Doug Mullen, and uh, Andy Anda's a violin player. He's a bluegrass violin player, fiddler, but he's... Uh, Man, he can play the blues on that thing, and he does a great job. That's when again now? It's, uh, next, it's Sunday the 18th. 18th. Yep, from one thirty to 3, uh, admission into the uh, Arboretum if you're not a member, and you should be if you're listening to the show. And uh, come on out and hear us, and, and we're sitting in the nice Ordway shelter where it's nice and cool, so that's great. And we just booked the New Year's Eve at the Arboretum. Family-friendly event, 7 to 10 well, on New Year's good. Eve. Yeah, they got all sorts of things for kids. It starts at 5, music starts at 7, and we play till 10 o'clock. And we've got quite the lineup. <laughs> all right. New Year's <laughs> It'll Eve It'll be already. fun, I know. Who, who, go figure. <laughs> Have beautiful soccer-sized hydrangea blossoms. Totally Tester says, cow. what causes stems to fall to the ground? The weight of those soccer-sized blossoms helps. Um, also, uh, just the, it's just the immense growth on the plant. Um, sometimes you might want to take a piece of just garden fencing and just in the spring put that around the base of the plant uh, out a ways, and then that will help to keep some of those blossoms from falling. It's just what happens. Those heads of those flowers are so heavy. All right, uh, let's see if we have time. We have about a minute, Julie. Uh, here's one, uh, an ornamental eggplant. I have it in a large container. The drain holes became plugged. I repotted it. Should I have removed some of the soil from the roots before repotting? No, no, you were right not to remove the soil because that, that could damage the roots. And you always want to move enough, you know, move as big a root ball as you can into the next pot if you repot it. So okay. you did the right thing. Can you still pick rhubarb, Texter wants to know? Well, uh, I've heard, yes, you can. Actually, Mary mentioned that on one of the shows. And I've always been told, you know, 4th of July, mm, stop, uh, because you're pulling away too much of the plant. But some of that rhubarb has been pretty pretty big. I, my rhubarb, I might be picking some of mine a little bit. I'd say don't overpick it. You know, don't pick it down to nothing. Uh, leave some of those leaves so that you can do the photosynthesis. All right, we have to fly out of here in about 30 seconds. How about giving that direction for the website? Yes, extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden, and remember, you can always ask Extension. Uh, there's a link there. And remember to take the survey. You can find that in the Yard and Garden News blog. Just like that? Just like that. And you'll be appearing at the Arboretum? Yep, 18th. August 18th, 18th. 1.30 to 3. Julie, we'll see you at the Minnesota State Fair. Woohoo! Have a good trip. All right. Thanks, Julie. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.